God, we want to give you the highest praise today because you are the great God who loves us and sent Christ to redeem us and is with us. We thank you for being with us in our worship today. Inspire us to hear you and to be open to you and to let you work in our lives. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. I invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. couple things I want to uh, mention coming up in the, in the life of our church. Uh, remind you about Operation Christmas Child. We are getting going as collecting boxes, and there's information in the bulletin about that. Also, we're continuing to accumulate recipes for our fruit recipe book during the series on the fruit of the Spirit. And there's sign-up sheets in the back if you haven't yet had a chance to do that. We want to fill this book with recipes that we as a church um, com- uh, contribute. And we are at the time of the year where we are gearing up for our annual prayer vigil. For the last, this will be the fifth year we have had at this time in early November, we have set aside three weeks of 24-hour-a-day prayer. And uh, we have a prayer room that uh, we are uh, putting together. Many things in the prayer room will be as you've seen them in the past if you've been in there. But there are also some new things that will be a part of this event. And we want you to be a part of it. You can begin signing up today. You can sign up here as you leave, or you can sign up online uh, and uh, just go to the church website. And 
the reason we want people to come to the prayer room and to uh, take those times is just to remind us that even though we might be praying individually, we are connected together in our prayers. And this chain of prayers for 500 plus hours through the uh, first three weeks of November. We start November 3rd at 5 in the afternoon and it concludes November 24th at 5 in the afternoon. We are doing something different to begin this year at 4 o'clock on that first Sunday, November 3rd. We are uh, we're gathering for a prayer walk uh, through Houghton and the surrounding uh, communities. And we'd love to have you be a part of that. If you're unfamiliar with the prayer walk, we'd be glad to talk with you about that. But uh, it's, a, it's a new thing maybe for many of us. But I think it has the potential to be really powerful in uniting us as we pray for our communities. So you can sign up for that as well this morning or get some more information to find out more about that. So be uh, contemplating and and. Go ahead and sign up about being a part of the prayer vigil. I think it's one of the most exciting times in the life of our church as we come together to pray. There are uh, many prayer concerns in the bulletin. In a few moments, we're going to be praying for those and other things. And as we do that, as we gather to pray together, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you come and pray, I invite you to join me. As we prepare to do that, I'm going to ask the ushers to come and and to uh, collect our tithes and offerings as we give them to God this morning. They made me feel like a prisoner They made me feel set free They made me feel like a criminal Made me feel like a king They've lifted my heart To places I've never been And they've dragged me down Back to where I began like here at the altar as we pray together. Father, we thank you for all of the words that you speak into our lives. Words of grace and hope. Words of love and peace. 
words of truth and conviction. Words of life. And we ask that you will give us the ability to hear your words. Give us the ability to understand the words that you are speaking to us individually and corporately. That we might embrace them. And that we might let them be rooted deeply in us. Father, as your words come into our lives, we pray that you will give us grace to speak your words to one another and to this world. So often our words are anything but yours. Our words are self-centered. Our words are about self-ambition. Our words are about anger and frustration Father, forgive us and help us to be people who communicate your words. Father, we pray for the needs and the burdens that we represent today. People struggling with illness and pain, grief and loss. We ask for your healing and comfort. We think about relationships that are not what they should be. We think about circumstances in our work, in our homes. And we ask, Father, for your healing grace, for your restorative power, for your reconciling mercy. And we pray for this world at large. So many needs in our world poverty and famine and drought and disaster and violence greed and war we ask father that through your holy spirit and through your holy spirit in your people that there would be a change a change of righteousness and of justice and of mercy and compassion of Christ. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The incarnate one, the crucified one, the risen one, the returning one. Amen. The scripture reading this morning can be found in Second Samuel, um, the entire chapter 9. This is the story of David and Mephibosheth. Hear the word of the Lord. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? 
Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord, the king, commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at, the, at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the, ser- the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing together. Notice the news this week, you were reminded that no matter our, despite our best efforts and despite all the things that we are trying to do, uh, the, the whole issue and problem of bullying continues to escalate. It's so sad to see young people who make tra- tragic decisions because they have been bullied over and over again. It's different, a little bit different now than it was when I was young. When I was young, if you were 
bullied, then, you know, it meant fists or feet or someone speaking right into your face. But now it is the internet and there's distance and people seem to feel free to say a lot more with that distance. And we live in this culture of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, meanness. And yet, we continue to perpetuate the culture by, by rewarding people who are competitive and people who are willing to crush others to get ahead. I mean, who do we reward in business? The people who walk over others to get to the top. Who do we reward in athletics? The people who are willing to bend the rules and crush the opponent to win the game. Who do we reward in, in the various elements of our, our work? And our, we are willing to walk on people in order to get the end that we want. And as a society and as a culture, we reward that so often, not realizing that it's killing us. We are a society, a culture that is so disconnected. And we've created this atmosphere that we are disconnected from each other by, uh, the, by the computers and the internet. And, and, and we, don't, you know, we don't talk to each other face to face with cell phones. And, and those are all good things. But what we're finding is with that, in that culture of disconnectedness, we're yearning for human touch. And we share more intimate details about our lives with people than anyone ever has in the history. And something in us is yearning for more. We're yearning for, for touch. We're yearning for conversation. We're yearning even just for eye contact. Something that says we're valuable, we have significance, we mean something to someone else. It's what intrigued me so much about this video that was sent to me this week that I found so fascinating. And I want to show it to us this morning, just two minutes. And, and as you listen to this artist's story called The Artist is Present, listen to this story that she tells about what she did and the impact that it had. For artists present, I decide to be there in MoMA entire duration of the time of the opening of the museum, which means three months sitting there. I knew this is a big chance to show the power of performance art. I prepared for this piece almost a year because I knew it's going to be physically so demanding, so difficult. Curator was just telling me, you have to be ready that in the front of you will be empty chair most of the time. Because nobody could imagine in New York, the most busy place in the world, that would anybody take time to sit and just engage in mutual gaze with me. So it was complete surprise for myself, to the entire staff of MoMA, and to everybody else. This enormous need of the humans to actually have a contact, how we are so alienated from each other, how the society makes us really distant. You know, we are texting each other messages without seeing each other, and we just live around the corner from each other. So many stories of loneliness. And uh, the people, not that just occupy the chair, there was no one second when this chair was empty. They start sleeping outside of the museum, and they start waiting for hours and hours and coming back. And what is happening there? I'm looking at you. You're photographed. You're filmed. You're observed by everybody else in this atrium. So there is nowhere to go but into yourself. At the moment when you really get into yourself, that moment bursting with emotions, with so much feelings, and this is why so many people start crying. They become such important experience in their life. We are not doing this in our own home because we are doing everything to actually cut that relation to ourselves. But here I made a stage for the audience that they can be able to do that. So something really happened there, which was different than anything I'd done ever before. And during that time sitting, this idea of the Marina Abramovich Institute, my, came to me. It's fascinating to me. 
She has created this space, two chairs. She sat in a chair and invited people to come sit in the other chair and just look at each other. And people told her, be prepared for the emotion of that because who wants to do that? Well, quite frankly, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people wanted to do that. The lines around the building, the lines around the space, people yearning just to be looked at, just to have eye contact. There is something about the connection of human beings that we were created to experience. And in this culture of disconnectedness, in this culture of unkindness, we try to find ways to combat it. A few years ago, there was a campaign uh, about just do random acts of kindness. And it was, it was a fascinating dynamic. People would you know, go up, walk up to a coffee shop and, and ready to pay for their coffee. And the barista would say, hey, the guy just paid for everybody's coffee. Or you drive to a toll booth and the toll operator would say, that guy just paid your toll. Or you get up in the morning and someone has raked your leaves. And, and it's a great thing to do that. And, and, and it, was, it was an exciting thing to do that. And it was, it was a, a wonderful expression of kindness. And it was good, but as one author says, it does say something about our culture that simply a campaign about just do some random act of kindness was so amazing to us. There is a, one, there, and churches were trying to do this as well. I read about a church that wanted to help uh, local businesses. And so the pastor called the local grocery store and he said, um, talk to the person there about what they wanted to do. And uh, the, the guy said, well, I'm going to have to talk to the manager about this, but let me make sure I have this straight. You and some people in your church want to come and you want to pick up all the carts in our parking lot, parking lot. You want to collect all the garbage and trash. You want to clean up for us and do all those things, take care of things for us, and you don't want anything in return. And he said, yeah, that's right. He said, well, let me go see. So he talked to the manager and came back a few minutes later and he said, I'm sorry, but we're not going to be able to let you do that. Because if we let you do that, we're going to let everybody do that. Really? Like everybody's going to want to do that? But there's a sense of a hidden agenda. That if you want to be nice to me, you have something else you want back. There's some agenda going on here. And quite frankly, the church has sort of sent that message. that We, we want to be kind to people. But sometimes our kindness is in order to get to another end. And we have this passion for the world. We want, we want the world to know Christ. It's the mission of the church and it's what we ought to do. But sometimes we, and we understand that kindness will help people be more receptive. And sometimes in our minds, we are kind because we want people to come to Jesus. And maybe we ought to just be kind and let God use that. And there is a difference. The problem that we have in the culture and in in our society is that, and in the church trying to, to bring about a new kind of kindness, is that it is different. The kindness of the Spirit is different than the kindness of the world. Now, the church in Galatia is having all this trouble. They are fighting with each other, factions, dissensions, all kinds of problems. They are not getting along. They are treating each other horribly. And so when Paul comes to chapter 5 and he says, if you really say you're walking in the Spirit, if you, if, if you are what you claim to be, filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, a child of God and have submitted your life to Christ, then here's what you should look like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's what it ought to look like. Now, we see the kindest kind of kindness, but what does that kindness mean? It's not just random acts. It's deeper than that. It's more than that. 
When we read through the, the, the scriptures, we find that kindness is connected to, to humility. It's connected to compassion and dignity. It's connected to restraint and respect. It's connected to forgiveness. Sacrifice. It's what we see in this encounter of David with Mephibosheth. David's become king. He's established his kingdom. And he says, anybody left from Saul's family who used to be king. Now, that's not an uncommon question for a new king to ask. Because you want to find out where your enemies are. And you find out if there's any of, that, any of the family left and then you eliminate them. Common practice. David says, I want to know if there's anybody else left in Saul's family, not to eliminate them, but so that I can show them kindness. And David discovers that Mephibosheth is still alive, and David expresses this sacrificial kindness. He gives Mephibosheth all the land that belonged to his grandfather Saul. He invites him to come and eat at David's table every day. And he takes care of him. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm not here to eliminate you. I'm here to show kindness to you. And a lot of that is because David and Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, are best friends. And he's trying to do something nice. And kindness is about doing this kind of thing. But there is a deeper sense of it as well. It's what we see in Jesus. It's fascinating to read through the Gospels and think about the kindness of Jesus. One of the first things I think of is Jesus and little children. The disciples, little children come to Jesus and the disciples are shooing them away. And Jesus is angry with the disciples and says, let them come to me. That's why I love this window. I love looking at that window. Do you think about Jesus holding little babies? I have in my mind this image of these children. They're dirty, they're grimy, you know, they're, they're a mess and they're jumping all over Jesus and he is loving it. He's laughing with them, he's playing with them. I think of Zacchaeus this tax collector that nobody wants to be friends with except Jesus. And when he encounters Zacchaeus, he says, hey, let's have lunch together. And Zacchaeus' life is transformed. I think about Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. Oh, she's a, he shouldn't be talking to her at all. First of all, she's not a Jew. She's a Samaritan and they hate each other. He's a man, she's a woman. Jewish men don't speak in public to women. And her reputation, she's been married five times. She's living with a guy that's not her husband. And here is Jesus connecting with her, listening to her, showing her respect when everyone else has degraded her. I think about the woman who comes and the prostitute who comes and anoints Jesus' feet with oil. And all the religious leaders are saying, doesn't Jesus know who she is? Doesn't he know she shouldn't be doing that? He shouldn't be hanging around with her? And, and Jesus praises her. I think about the feeding of the 5,000. These people have been listening to Jesus teach all day and they are hungry really hungry. And the disciples know that. They must have heard some grumbling. And they say, Jesus, we need to send them home. Jesus says, you know, I've got a different idea. Let's feed them. I think about Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, with a towel and a basin, on his hands and knees, washing their feet. Because when they all come, none of them are willing to humble themselves to wash anybody else's feet. I think about a few hours later, 
Jesus is in the garden and the soldiers come and they arrest him. And Peter, defending Jesus, swings his sword and he cuts off the the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 that's not what we're doing here. And he heals the man's ear. And I'm convinced that Malchus's life is never the same again. And I think about Jesus hanging on the cross, life ebbing out of him in agony of body and soul and looking down at his mother and feeling such compassion for her. He says to John, take care of her. That's a depth of kindness that's different. The kindness of the Spirit that sacrifices and gives of ourselves. It's a, kind, it's a kindness that steps outside the boundaries that everyone else has built. This word, krestos, that is translated kindness here, in, in a lot of settings, it is a word that describes the ideal servant in a household. You think about this servant is the best servant that they could be, Krestos would be a word to describe them. That's one of the reasons why when we were thinking about what fruit to connect with kindness, I automatically thought about grapes. Because I have this picture in my mind of a king lying on a couch and being fed grapes. Because that's what servants do. And in the scriptures, Jesus is not lying on the couch. Jesus is the one holding the grapes, feeding people. Servant. Sacrifice. I don't think it's a coincidence that the word that means kindness is krestos, and it's so close to Christos. Messiah. And maybe, just maybe, that idea of servant and Christ were connected in the minds of the people in Antioch who first called the followers of Jesus Christians. Because they are servants who exude kindness. It's hard to be kind. See, the thing about the, the difference between the kindness that, of the Spirit and these random acts of kindness is that there's really little risk involved in random acts of kindness. Now, it, it's still better than random acts of violence. And, and it's still better than, than doing nothing. And, you know, if you walked up to the counter at a coffee shop and the barista says, hey, guy, just paid for your coffee, cool, all right. Or you drive up to the toll booth and your toll was paid, that's terrific and you feel good about that. But it's just, it's anonymous and you just, it just sort of floats in the air. And the kindness of the Spirit is something that connects us as human beings. And it's not because we want people to know what we are doing. It's because we, it's about relationship. It's about being connected to each other as human beings. And being involved in each other's lives. And being willing to risk rejection. I mean... You could commit a random act of kindness and never know how people responded to it. But kindness in relationships, that's a whole other thing. And it's hard because in relationships we can be rejected. And we're talking about showing kindness to people that we may have issues with. We're showing kindness to people who may have issues against us or we against them. We're showing kindness to people that we may have a huge disagreement with all kinds of things that divide us and kindness can help unite us but that's what makes it hard because it's about relationships and relationships are hard I've mentioned before Richard Mao's book Uncommon Decency and if you haven't read that I would encourage you to do so it's a great book 
And he talks in this book about civility and kindness and the way that we treat each other in the world and how we represent Christ. And the very last two pages of the book, he tells two stories. The first story, he says he drives in, driving into a mini mall parking lot and it's full, hard to find a place to park. And finally he sees a spot and he, he races to it and pulls in. And as he's pulling into it, he hears this horn honking. And he turns over and he looks at a woman whose car is parked right there. And he realizes she has been waiting on that spot. And she is not happy with him. And she just keeps honking and honking her horn and doing a few other things to let him know that she is very unhappy with him. And then she pulls away to find another spot. He gets out of his car and he goes looking for her. And he finds her. She's getting out of her car and he says, I'm so sorry. I did not realize that you were waiting for that spot. I, I, I wasn't paying attention and I should have. Please forgive me. And she just bursts into tears. Sobbing. He says, you just don't know what kind of day I've had. And she starts to tell him. He says, never mind. She walks away. But then she stops, turns around and says, thank you. The second story took place about two weeks later. He was returning his rental car and was standing at the counter having a very heated argument with the agent. The agent said that he owed them more money because he had it because of an extra hour and he disagreed with them. And he said it was a very heated discussion. And in the midst of this discussion, the, the manager of the rental car agency overheard them and came over. And What's the problem? And he, in very irritated terms, explained to her why this agent was wrong and why he didn't know anything. And she looked at the contract and said to the agent, he's right. And then she turned to Richard Mao and said to him, honey, you need a hug. And he walked, she walked over and she gave him a hug. And he said, it just began to melt him. And he turned back to the agent and he offered the most sincere apology that he could for his behavior. He said, it reminded him of how hard it can be to be kind. And it is a constant struggle for us And yet it also reminded him of what kindness can do. See, here's really what it boils down to is that our kindness that Paul is describing for us here in Galatians and the scripture talks about, our kindness is rooted in God who is rich in kindness. It's really about God who's rich in kindness. There are are passages in, in the Old and New Testament that we often translate other ways but can legitimately be translated to kindness. Psalm 23, surely kindness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is kind. Psalm 136, 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is kind. We often translate those passages good or goodness. And, and, and that's a, you know, it's a great way to translate it. It's very appropriate. There is something that's communicated a little differently to say God is kind rather than God is good. Romans tells us that God is rich in kindness for us, patient with us, loving to us. Jesus says in Matthew 11... Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am kind and gentle. In Ephesians and Titus, scriptures tell us that God is kind to us, not because we deserve it, but because he is kind. It's his nature. It's who he is. And you and I are kind toward people because God is kind toward us. And we don't deserve his kindness, but that's what makes it kindness. You know, Lewis says it's, it's easy to be kind toward people to, toward whom 
you don't have any issue. Jesus says, you know, what does it mean for you to be kind or good to somebody who's kind or good to you? Everybody does that. The real issue is, how do you treat people who treat you poorly? How do you treat people who are against you? How do you treat people who hurt you? Only through the power of the Spirit. Only as the Spirit lives in us and grows in us and we walk in the Spirit can we exude kindness. And you can't just say, I want to be kind. That's not enough. Being kind means being kind. Because we often say, well, let's talk about kindness. This is one place you can't just talk about it and be kind. It involves our actions, how we treat one another, the things we say to one another, and particularly people who are hard for us. And that brings us back to this table. This table reminds us that in God's kingdom, kindness is costly. In the kingdom of God, kindness is going to cost us something. For Jesus, it's the cross. And he says to us, if we want to follow him, we take up our cross. And the calling on our lives is to be willing to pay the price of kindness. As we come to this table this morning, we are reminded, we, 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 it is a stark presentation for us of God's amazing kindness. It is also a call to let the Spirit so work in us that He creates kindness. That it becomes not just something we talk about, not just something we do randomly, but how we live. Gracious Father, we thank you for your kindness, undeserving kindness. We pray, Father, that through your grace and mercy, you will help us to to sense the power of your kindness in our lives. That through your spirit, we might exude kindness toward one another. Father, we pray for these elements of which we are about to partake. We ask that you will bless them with your spirit, that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing upon them, that in the, that in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup, we may know the fullness of your kindness to us, and that we might once again have a yearning in our souls to represent you with kindness. We ask this through Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're going to receive communion this morning by the mode of intinction, which means to dip in. So as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup and eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisles. If coming to the front is difficult for you or you just simply prefer, 
We do have trays of bread and cups, and we're happy to serve you in your seats. Just let the usher know as your row is released. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, to receive his kindness and, and to be channels of kindness, and to know his grace upon you, come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, kind, Heavenly Father.
As we've been doing the last few weeks, I want to encourage you in responding to what God may be saying to you. There are cards at the outside and inside of each row. Please take one of those and write something on it today that God may be speaking to your heart. It might be a name, might be an action, might be something that God is saying to you about kindness. I also want to encourage you to, to take five minutes a day this week to pray for God's kindness to be implanted in our lives. We ask, God will do it. And he'll give us opportunities to be kind. And if this morning there, you would like to talk with someone, have some pray with you, the elders are again down at the prayer room and they would be happy to do that. Just make your way down as we are dismissed this morning. Receive the benediction. May our God, who is rich in kindness, fill your heart and soul with kindness. That you may go forth this day and every day to live in his joy and his peace. Amen.